Blog Talk Radio. All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people. It's your man, Chairman Yanga and Kruma, People's Black Panther Party, coming at you again today on What's On Your Mind Monday. I'm excited about today's show because I all you know, I get opportunities and I've had plenty of opportunities to work with my father. But um when I'm afforded the opportunity to work with my mother, it's something that I really look forward to. So tonight's show is going to be a wonderful show that I can promise you. It's the importance of the black woman and family in the black revolutionary movement. Their role, if they have a role, what role they played in and what we call the third development. Well, a lot of people uh, is commonly more referred to as the original pamphlets. What role did our women play, if they had a role at any? And and how did they um, battle the two oppressions? Not just the not just the oppression of white supremacy, but the oppression of sexism. So we have my mother coming on today to break that down. And you know, I've been thinking about this. One of the reasons I wanted to have this show coming into the new year is because I've been seeing a lot of the Facebook posts. I've been listening to a lot of sisters in the movement, in the organization, and this is, has been this has been something that has been troubling. This has been something that's been going on. You know, um, the women have been complaining about the treatment of the brothers, uh, uh, how they're being objectified, how they're looked at as just sex objects, how they're taking back seats or playing second um, inferior roles, in the movement. So to have a powerful black woman who took a leadership role, who played a prominent role, you know, not just in um, writing the speeches or printing the papers, but actually getting out there, you're talking about in maneuvers, and you're talking about in the actual everyday field operations of the party, I thought it was imperative and would be very helpful and insightful into taking us just in, in a new direction. You know, like the old saying says, if you don't know your history, you're destined to repeat it. And I think that this is what we see occurring. People have heard me rant about this before. People have heard me talk about this before, how we not only battled white supremacy, but that it was a white male supremacy. And once shackling, once shaking the shackles of this white supremacy off us, many of us as men have not shaken the shackles of this machoism, this sexism this over-masculinity, this over-maleism that, uh, uh, that we display, you know, this, this thing of feeling like that our women have a role, how do we define, and, and if they do have a role, how is that defined? How is that defined? You know, we holler king and queen, but are we saying king and queen from a Eurocentric aspect? Do we mean queen in the sense that we meant it um, that is normal for African people? that an African people can understand, that elevates our women. And not just elevates our women, not this BS. Let me tell you something. I'm not one of those brothers. You want to talk about something that gets on a black man's nerve. Are those brothers what I call conscious pimps? Yeah, brothers, I just said it. And yeah, sisters, I know you hate to hear it because the accolades, the attention, the all the nice things the brothers say, they sound wonderful. Oh, my black queen, goddess of the universe. Mother of civilization, paradise lies at your feet. Oh, they, they sound wonderful, but if the intention is not behind these things, then it's just game. Then it's just game. And these sisters with low self-esteem or self-esteem issues coming in and they 
suck that up. But I'm talking about in a manner that when this is said, that is actually meant and heartfelt. That's what I'm talking about. When I talk about the elevating our black women, and not just elevating our black women, like I said, to this lofty position of just words, but elevating our black women to having certain expectations, to understanding that the elevation of the black women is not just to put them in a a inferior role or a uh, second seat or the passenger seat, but in a lot of instances where we feel like that it's a man's job or a man's thing, that we have to practice egalitarianism, that we're egalitarians, that we believe in equality, that we feel like that our women are able, in a lot of the functions that we do, are able to implement and carry out these same functions. Do we look at it like that? This is the thing that I'm talking about. There again, this is your brother, Yanga and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party Independence Radio. We're looking for you to call in. Like I said, we're talking about a dynamic show. Um, and we're, and in, in about 20 or 30 minutes, we're going to have my mother call in. A lot of people have already heard from my father and heard how he's done the thing, but how often do we have the opportunity to hear from women who were there and were active participants in the movement, in the development, in the implementation of party programs, of strategies and tactics, and also that held leadership positions from the field. Just, I mean, everything from, like I said, political education to field activities. This I'm telling you is about a person that I know personally. I mean, I don't think I can know any more personally than my mother, but from a person I know personally who uh, has put in this work and who has exemplified the character and the behavior of what a panther should be all through as far as long as I can remember knowing the sister, you know, has always implemented and always behaved in such a manner. And then we have in the habit, sometimes it's good for women to hear from other sisters who have been there so that it doesn't feel like that a brother is objectifying them or being uh, overly harsh in their critiques or criticisms of sisters' behaviors or what's expected of our sisters in the movement. You know, how is this, how do we reconcile that? The male and the female aspects of the movement. What is too much? What is not a what is not enough? So this is what this is what this is what we're talking about. Um family. I think it's super important when we talk about family in the movement. Me being a cub, being raised in the uh, Panther way in the Panther tradition, being raised in the Panther ideology and philosophy, it starts to, you know, you 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 digest these things. You just come up with it and you behave in a certain manner. You start to develop a certain swag. You start to perceive the world from a different view because this is what your parents implemented. But how many of our sisters out there and brothers, but right now we, you know, a lot of this is primarily focused on our women. How many of these sisters out there are raising children in the movement? How do you implement that into their daily diet? How do you get them to embrace some of the things of the movement to get involved, to make it hip and cool and happening, if that's the words of the day? How do you get them to do that? How do you be, and in, and in this day and time, what we're looking at, too, is single parenthood. We have the single mothers. 
how do you balance the work schedule and the doing the other activities with implementing revolutionary ideology and philosophy, and especially here for you sisters that's raising young men, you sisters out there raising young men, and then are frightened to bring them to the organization because the men that they're around are sexist or objectify women or put women in just a purely uh, in a, a secondary role or just look at them as purely sexual objects in the way that they behave, their mannerism, and their demeanor towards other brothers and the women make you hesitant to bring your sons around. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So how do you reconcile that? How do you bring your children into the movement? These are a lot of questions, and I'm sure that our sisters have these questions. You know, they go on. They happen. So this is this is this is what I'm talking about. Give a little bit about me coming up. Me coming up in the revolution, I never really fully understood it. I never understood it. As a young man, I didn't understand. I didn't understand anything that would take my father away. I didn't understand something that would be so tremendous and so psychologically damaging that my mother didn't want to speak on it. This is how hard it was for her. It was hard to get her out of her shell and to have her speak on the movement. I couldn't grasp it. And then when I stepped out of that cocoon, when I stepped out of that nest of blackness, I like to call it, that was that that security blanket of blackness for my father and for my mother and got into the everyday world where the sentiment wasn't the same towards black people, that was a shock and amazing. And as I got older and started to have children of my own, it really just made me marvel that much more at the strength of my mother and my father, but really particularly the strength of my mother, how she embedded and implemented a sense of identity in me with battling the everyday rigors of life. That's not an easy feat for a woman. That is not an easy feat for a woman to implement a love of black men when black men have not shown you love, to implement a caring and a compassion for black people when black people haven't showed you caring and compassion, and to be steadfast and firm on this, to believe this and impart this belief in your children, to be so dedicated to what you believe in that you uh, make it a, like I said, you make it a, a, a steady diet. You give them a healthy dose in their diet, in their daily diet, that we swallowed this. And we started to implement this and believe these things, even though this is, isn't what the world was giving you. You know, this is, this is, like I said, that is not an easy feat. And I think that our women who maneuver that should be applauded. Our sisters who have this love, have this calling and this yearning to see their people do better and have to get out here and combat the everyday exploitation of white supremacy, of sexism from the world, from society at large, and then come into these black progressive or allegedly a so-called black progressive organizations and have to face the same things is not easy. It can't be. Yet we see them tirelessly doing it, joining organization after organization, 
so that they can make a change in their communities, in their society, in their nation, in their world, nationally and internationally. You find them fighting these beasts, these three beasts, white supremacy, sexism from the outside world, and sexism from within their very own progressive organizations. I think that they should be applauded. I really do. I think that they should be given a a a big hand. And steady they, they, they trudge on. Raising families into this. And the importance of the black family. We understand that you've heard me say this before about a protracted struggle. The importance of black families in this protracted struggle, this generational struggle. What's the old proverb? What's the proverb? It said, teach a man, you teach an individual. Teach a woman, you teach a nation. So understanding the importance, the role of the woman and how her um, involvement in our organizations is imperative for our survival and our continuance, our continuancy. It's imperative for it because that's what we're facing. We're looking at a protracted struggle, a revolutionary struggle, a generational protracted struggle means a generational struggle, a revolutionary struggle that must be carried on through the generations and it must be taught to our children and not just taught to our children as a separate philosophy or a separate ideology, but as a part of them. Resistance and freedom fighting must be a part of their very existence, of their day-to-day going about. And there is no better person to teach that than our black woman. So how can we... What 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 has how have we um started to have we my question is have we progressed or have we regressed? Are we losing the ground that were made during the are we losing the ground that were made during the sixties and the seventies with our progressive black organizations? Are we falling backwards? Have we given back in to sexism? Have we given back in to this over-masculinity, this over-masculine thing, this macho thing? Or are our women different? You know, we have to look at this thing from a whole other perspective. Are the sisters different in this day and time? Are they viewing things differently? Do they have a different perception? You have a lot of groups coming up now that are purely female groups. Is this a good or a bad thing for the movement? Is this more division? Is it, is it, is it more divisiveness? Will it work in the long run? Hey, um, will it work as something that will unify us? Or is this just something to exasperate the differences that we have? to draw that much more emphasis to where we can't come together as men and women? All these are questions. And they're questions that must be asked, but they're imperative questions. See, it's time for us to start to clean out our own house and to really take a solid look at ourselves. What my brother Michael say, man in the mirror or woman in the mirror, 
We must be very, we must be brutally honest with ourselves and start to look at these things and start to ask the tough questions. And these are the tough questions that we're asking. This is what we want to know. How can we make it better? What's the deal? What's going on with us? Just coming at you. Just throwing it real. A lot of us don't like to do the real talk. We're more given to sensationalism. We're more given to the rhetoric of the movement. It's easier to do that. It's easier to um, address those things. It's not as painful. It doesn't hurt as bad as looking in the mirror. It doesn't hurt as bad as getting to the bottom of it. But if we don't get to the bottom of it, if we don't address those issues, we will just always sweep over them. It's like putting dirt under a rug and you see the lump in the rug and we're just ignoring it. But it's there. It's there, brothers and sisters. So these are the very things that we're asking. How do we start to make our progressive organizations more inclusive, more inclusive to our women? How do we make our women feel more comfortable? How can we um, be more, as far as men, check ourselves a lot more and to really be honest and to really understand that a lot of what we're practicing, once we shake off the shackles of this, White supremacy is is not just white supremacy, but white male supremacy. How do we understand that that we're bringing this male, male this maleism, this extra machoism? And when we're addressing our sisters, how do we do it in such a manner that we're not patronizing, that we're not patronizing our women, that we're not oh queen of the universe, oh goddess of the now. Empress of civilization, and you're really trying to get some ass. That you don't mean it in your heart. That your words are just empty. They're like tinkling bells. What was the secret of the Panthers of old? And this is why I'm excited about the 10, 10 minutes having my mother on. That she can explain what they went through and how they fought to get an equal status, to be respected. A lot of people love when I bring my father on. They love him. He gets the accolades. And this is what, 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 we, what we, me and, we as men do. We love it. We absolutely love it. We love the accolades. We love the attention. You know, Chairman Carr, Chairman Carr, the original parent, the Louisville 7, you know, and he was a bad boy. You know, I'm not going to take anything from it. Louisville 7, man, part of the Louisville 7, they framed him. You know, he did his thing. You know, I remember um, um, they came through the Lumumba coming through the house, Sundown Hakola coming through the house. I was a girl. Pops was a bad man. But just like our women today, I would, who played a background role, but yet a very prolific and proficient role was my mother. That's the rest. The path of that is not spoken about. 
we very rarely we very rarely are seldom here about the path of women. If it isn't the main ones, Elaine Brown, Asada Shakur, and we we clamor for path of women so much we start to even claim women. Angela Davis, you do know Angela Davis, but the path. I have to let me put this out there, clear that for the record. She was a communist. She was not a panther. She dealt with the panther, Field Marshal George Jackson, but she was not in the panther formation. But this is how hungry for powerful black women and black female images we are. We will start to rewrite history. You'd be surprised how many people I see say Angela Davis was a panther. Because we start to be revisionists. We start to rewrite history because we're hungry for that. But there were plenty of women panther. All of these bad brothers, just like I was talking to um Another cub of mine, a friend of mine, sister's a cub. And I was saying, just like you a cub, my father didn't have me by himself. It was a woman there. So there were panther females. So all of those cubs know that there were women who carried these cubs. So there were panther females. Fred Hamp, my brother Fred Hamp Jr., as bad as his daddy was, Fred Hamp Sr., it was a woman that gave birth to him, though. Very rarely do you hear her mentioned. Very rarely do you hear her giving speeches or talks or the people giving accolades to this bad woman who is bad enough to be with Fred Ham Sr. and bad enough to birth Fred Ham Jr. So our women play a mighty role. Our women play a tremendous role in the in, in, in our movement. And what role is that? And, and not just in our movement, our women, like I said before, we have to understand what role the family plays in our struggle, in our protracted struggle. Protracted struggle just means a generational struggle. What role our women play in that? That our women keep the struggle alive in our children. It wasn't just my father that kept the struggle alive in me. It wasn't my father that just implemented black nationalist ideology or philosophy in me. It wasn't just my father that taught me to love black people or be compassionate to black people. It was a black woman that taught me to love the black man, even though the black man didn't love her. How tremendous. How special. How so, oh, my goodness. I can't express the love I have for my mother. Just on that alone, never allowing me to give up. On the black on black people, though black the black society in a lot of instances and cases they're giving up on her. So what is the role of the black woman? Does she even have a role? And if she has a role, have we in this day and time in these new formations progressed that role, or have we regressed? Have we regressed? Have we taken it backwards? Have we made a mockery and a sham? of the advancement of our powerful black women? Are we doing them a disservice? Am I doing my mother like Judith Ife a disservice? The beautiful women that came along at that time, are we doing a disservice? Us brothers, listen, brothers, listen. Listen to me. Are we doing them a disservice in this day and time? Have we gotten so far and so sick in our perversity and in our sexism and in our over-masculinity that our women are compelled to start their own organization. Is this a good phenomenon or a bad phenomenon? Is it more division? Are we that far gone that we can't work with each other? Or it may be a good thing. 
It may be that we've advanced so much that we don't need to be up under one another like that and that there's only certain things sisters can address, but in the long run we come together as a collective and work together. It's questions that need to be asked. If we're serious about our movement and about our liberation, that's only if we're serious. Or we can get on here and then still be about the sensationalism and the rhetoric on Facebook. We can still be caught up in the times of Chicago for the white boy that molested the brother with anger, which are very real issues that should be addressed. Don't get it twisted. They should be addressed. Very real issues. But if at times we don't stop, my job is time to stop saying, look, black families, we need to address our sicknesses. We need to address our ills, our perversions, our depravities, the things that are holding us up, the things that are holding us back. These are what needs to be addressed in the black home, in the black house. And this time and this day on what's on your mind Monday, the black woman has to be addressed. And I can't think of any. Uh, um, um, there, I'm sure there's plenty of black women out there that are experts and have can lend some ear to this, but I can't think of a better one to come on than my mother, an original, what they call an original black panther. If my father was Louisville 7, she was Louisville 7. Who held the party down when my father was underground and when my father was captured and incarcerated? She led the party. Who came up with strategies and tactics to advance the party? My mother did. This sister, this dynamic black woman. Our women. Our women. Taken for granted, pushed back into regulated to secondary roles because we don't have a clear understanding. We haven't done the political education, not understanding that the Panther Party is anti sexism, we're anti oppression. Anything that exploits and oppresses any person, we're anti, we're against. And more so our women. And we wonder why. These feminist movements are snatching our women up by the handful, by the boatloads, because we're running them to them. We haven't grasped or understood the uh, um, the principle of the divine masculine, the divine feminine, Maya, the balance. Some kind of way, us brothers, took, like I said, we suffer from a neo-colonialism that we're not aware of. White male supremacy, X the white supremacy. Now we're just doing, now we're just behaving like the white man in blackface. That's what you're doing. You're behaving like Europeans in blackface. You wear the African clothing. You speak the African language. You give the African greetings. You even eat the African food and then treat your woman like white men. Treat your women like white men. You don't want to hear what she has to say. She has a place or a role. How sickening can that be? There again, this is your brother, Yang Nkrumah, People's Black Panther Party, Independence Black Talk Radio. Now listen, my lines are open all the time. Press 1 if you want to chime in. This is our show, family. It's a time for us to talk. It's a time for us to heal. It's a time for us to build. A time for us to be with one another. Oh, I wish I could bring the shows that 
get everybody jumping. I wish I could bring the shows that excite all of us, the shows that move and scare us emotionally, have us clamoring. I wish I could even bring the shows that strike fear into our hearts. See, I know if I go talking about what this white man is going to do to you and how the white man got a plan for you and how the white man is going to destroy you, my lines will blow up. We love to be frightened. Everybody loves a good horror story. But when I talk about building, when I talk about self-reflecting, when I talk about self-analysis, talking about giving self-criticism, when I talk about real revolution, real revolution, then you find us in the cuts. We kind of don't want to hear that as much because the revolutionary must transform themselves. The revolutionary must go through this transformation, and the revolution in order to go through this transformation, the revolutionary must identify those things that are hindering them from progression. The revolutionary must identify those things in them that are stopping them from going to the next level of growth. The sicknesses and perversions that lie deep within in the shadows, in the recesses of their heart. This is what the revolutionary must deal with, but the common Negro is afraid to deal with. The common Negro is afraid to open those doors to peep into that darkness because what may be peeping back may be themselves. And no one wants to admit that they have these sicknesses. No one wants to admit that this is really what's going on with them. But there's one one uh, being out of us, especially as men, that can help us with that, and that is our black women. Don't she have things that she has to work on? Together, we can start to identify these issues, and this is one of the issues that I must talk about, that I have to talk about, and that's our role, and how to aid and assist our women in carrying out and performing these functions and these duties. When my mother comes home, we're going to ask questions, and we're going to have the line open, and I hope that the people on the line feel free to ask those questions of her because we have to know. We shouldn't be taking steps behind what's called the original party. We shouldn't be falling behind. We shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel. If they've taken us to a certain level, it's up to us to take the mantle, to take the torch to the next phase. They pass it off. Are we willing to take that torch and to pass it? Are we doing the things that it takes to create, like I said, not just the role of the black woman, but the role of the black family? I can't talk enough about a protracted struggle. I can't say that word enough. I'm going to say it again because I just like the way it's a protracted struggle, generational struggle. I can't say it enough. Because we're not implementing it into our children. Our revolution, our liberation has become a fad. It has become a fad. It's become it's become something that we it's become something we do on the side. Do we really implement it to our children? When we talk about role of the black family, are we really teaching our children to be accountable and responsible? to the very race that they belong to, or do we turn a blind eye? 
Do we let them still play all types of games and eat what they want to eat and do what they want to do with no accountability or responsibility? Shit's become a game. It's become a game. I don't even get on Facebook as much anymore because I'm sick. I'm sick of seeing the condition of my people. I'm sick of seeing the same thing day in and day out in these streets and all of these blog posts and all of these beautiful pictures and no real progress being made or no uh, joint effort, no institutions to teach our babies. The same old, same old is what we're getting. So what is our role? How have we, what do the the Panthers of old think about us? And not just these brothers we always getting on the line. Not just these Panther brothers that we're just always getting on the line. Tonight is going to be a treat because we're going to get a sister on the line that can tell us what she thinks from a female perspective, if we progressed any, or have we fallen back? That's what this thing is all about. Brothers and sisters, that's what this thing is all about. Nothing else. It's about our liberation. It's about our advancement. It's about what you and I call advancement. What do you call progress? What do you see yourself in 10 or 15 years? That's my question. Where do you see yourself in 10 or 15 years? What's your long-term goals, aims, and objectives for your people? Most of these formations don't have a clue. We're not working towards anything. When I, my mouth is closer to my ears, I'm one of you, you're one of me, we're one in the same. We're not working towards anything. Have we really accomplished anything, achieving anything? Or is all of this just a feel-good movement, something to appease our conscience, to make us feel good about the little bit of what we do? And I told you, to me, it's become a fad. Coming from the Cubs is hard to digest. Being a Cub is hard to digest. Because to me, it has all become a fad. It's become the new hip thing. And like I told someone, I was talking to the other day, I was on Facebook, I said, this shit's a fashion show. It's become cool to wear berets and buttons everywhere. Black power T-shirts, the hippest T-shirts, and all of it's become a fashion show. It's sickening. And I don't care if this doesn't make me any friends. Man, I was born by myself. I'm not a twin. But until we start getting disgusted with the way that our movement is going, until we really start getting fed up, and those of us that are revolutionary take the helm, take control of this thing, and start to stir it back to a proper direction, to start to stir it and put the boat back on course, we're drift and we'll sell astray and lie and, 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 and where we land only only the most high know. So this is my humble effort at at setting the record straight. And this is why I said let us start with our women. Let us find out what we can do. What's happening 
to get our own life straight. What's happening between what's going on with the dynamic between the black man and the black woman? How can I stop from having to reinvent the wheel? How can I get it together? Let me find out from someone who was there in that particular time so that I don't keep making the same mistakes that my father made, that the comrades of that era made. So there it is. That's what this whole thing is about. What is the role of the black woman and the family in the black movement? All the roles the same. Are we clearly defining them? All the roles the same. Are we clearly defining them? Are we just are we just groping in the dark, going as we um, feeling as we go along? I know that I'm not the only serious revolutionary out here. I won't even make that claim. I wish I could beat my chest like King Kong and say I was the most serious, but I won't make that claim. But it is time for those of us who are serious about this thing to come together and to formulate a plan. I'm disgusted, brothers and sisters. I'm disgusted. And I'm at wit's end. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm drained. I don't know what more I can say or what more I can do to start to try to shake and stir our people into some type of action. So, One of the reasons that we start to feel drained and start to feel fatigued is because we find ourselves doing the same thing. We've stopped taking advice of our predecessors. We've stopped listening and learning from those that came before us, those that have struggled and fought certain battles so that we wouldn't have to. And we've heard it from every perspective, and mainly from a male's perspective. We've heard it from that perspective. But we never quite get the female perspective of it. Battles that were waged against a white supremacist capitalist system, against a male-dominated system, and not just from the outside world, but also from within the organizations that many of the sisters have started to integrate into, the battle that they had to fight amongst their own comrades and party members. And we see the same thing occurring in this day and time. Why? It's unnecessary. So I said in the new year in 2017, let's start to let's resurrect this wisdom of our predecessors. Let's address them. And maybe if we start to find out some of the ways that they uh, combated those problems, then we can either use those same methods or we can just totally discard the problem altogether because they have fought them. They're old battles. I figured we have this especially us in these new formations, this wave of freedom fighters, this generation of freedom fighters, we have a reference for the Panther Party. 
what we call the original Panther Party, we hold it sacred to a degree. So I said, let maybe if I can get someone from the original and a woman from the original to explain that position and to talk about how it was to be a woman and not just a woman, but to have a child to raise a family within the movement, then maybe that would ease and alleviate some of the stress or some of the burden that our sisters feel in this, and I could think of no better woman than my mother, formerly the wife of Chairman Carl, who many of you know my father, from his works within the um, party then as the level seven and his works in the party now. So I said, let's talk to the other half. Like I said before, you know that I came up in the party as, so being a pastor, that being a cub of the party, my father didn't have me by himself. There had to be a woman attached. So what was that role? And the question remains, are we digressing? Are we, are we going backwards with our women in the party, with our sisters in the party, our female comrades in the party? Or are we advancing? Are there new issues and problems facing our women? I'm just rehashing. I'm just going over some things I said until we bring on my mother, until we bring on uh, uh, Sister Judith Efe Sperling so that going over so that these questions, because now here's an opportunity for you brothers and sisters alike to address these issues and, and, and concerns you may have or just to uh, quell, to satisfy your curiosities about that particular era. Minus the sensationalism, minus all the hype and the revisionist stories we get, those people who rewrite the path of history, minus all of that, let's talk to the source. And if we're fortunate enough or blessed enough to have these predecessors still amongst us to be able to address, then we should take full advantage of that. I think only, only, only intelligent beings would do that. And I like to thank those of us who are fighting for our freedom and have continued this struggle, are intelligent beings. So this is where, this is where we're at, brothers and sisters. These are the things and the questions that are not just on my mind, but I'm, I'm sure have to be on your mind. When we look at the Facebook and we look at the posts and we talk to our, our comrades, sisters, our um, female comrades within the party, we hear the same reoccurring theme, sexism, 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 and not in that polite manner. We see the videos and the posts that they're putting up about exploitation in the party, about being objectified within the party. We still see it, and we see how this feminist movement is encroaching. It's coming deeper and deeper into the party and snatching our very powerful, very sincere, very well-meaning black women up because they're tired of the antics and the shenanigans of non-politically educated brothers. And in some cases, sisters too carry on that mess. They're tired of those antics and they just want to be involved with not just changing the living conditions of Africans here in America, but globally, internationally changing the living conditions of all oppressed people and humanity in general. 
and humanity in general still caught up in the same things, materialism, hate, sexism, machoism, and every other ism that leads to the destruction and the demise of Africans here in America, particularly in humanity in general. Yo, we have to tighten up. We really have to tighten up. But without further ado, and I know people have chimed on to hear this sister, to be able to ask questions, to have comments, and I started off, I bring to you with, it is my pleasure to bring to you my mother, sister, Judith, E. Face Sperley. Hey, mama. Oh, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> I caught you off guard. Need a few minutes? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Greetings. Hear greetings. 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 It's just greetings. an honor and a privilege to, Thank uh, you, Mama. It's, you me to be, it's an honor and a privilege that you asked me to be on your radio show, you know, uh, I'm just open to whatever you want to talk about or, you know, whatever, I you know. Okay. And, and Mom, let me say, and I thank you for taking out the um, taking time out. I know Mondays is a very busy day for you. You have a lot going on. You were active then. You remain active now in your community and in, 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 in things you do, just trying to better humanity. All around, so thank you for taking this time out for me. And listen, brothers and sisters, I had to make this appointment in advance. Um, but you, you know what we got? I have you here, Mom. What I'm talking about is the role of the black woman in the movement and the role of the family. And one of the things is the main question is what? Um, how do? Where do I even start? Is one of the main questions is give us a little bit about how it was as being a woman coming into the movement in the 60s and the 70s at a time when uh, it was really, when you talk about it's a man's world, when really it was a male-oriented, dominated type of thing. How was that to come into the movement as a woman and to get your place and to be respected? But even before that, why don't you give us a little history of who you are and how you came into the movement? Okay, I came into the movement, uh, actually, I think it was like 66, 67, around in 66. Uh, My awareness became when I went to a private school, a private boarding school in South Carolina, and there were sharecroppers. I had never experienced discrimination or anything in my life because my family was very wealthy and it was about economics and not about race because my grandfather had white people that worked for him as well as black. So I, I was never, you know, discriminated against in any way. So, but when I went to South Carolina to a private boarding school in high school, I saw sharecroppers. I saw people that people considered as less than. And that's when I started becoming aware. I had a male white teacher that was from Oakland, and he started teaching us in South Carolina about the Panther Party, and he had literature from the Panther Party, and that's where my awareness first began. That's where the spark. When I came back from South Carolina to Kentucky, oh, my goodness, 
this is just all new information. And it just opened up my eyes that I had lived a life of privilege and wealth and that I had been isolated. I was just in a little box, but that there was so much going on in the world and the community that I didn't know about. So then I wanted to become involved. So I contacted, I found out that the University of Louisville had a black student union organization, and I contacted them, and I was still in high school, and asked them, was it anything that I could do to start being involved with them? Now, I lived in the rural area in Kentucky, and I grew up on a farm. And, but I made my way to the University of Louisville, and I became attached to the student union, the Black Student Union at the University of Louisville. And there is where I met uh, Abdul. He had come up with Jomo from Florida to do, uh, they were doing a series of workshops and trying to politicize. So that's how I met him. And then we ended up getting married. We were in Jomo, and we started the first Black Panther Party in Louisville, Kentucky. Right on. So, so what, that's how I got to be a Panther. Okay. So when you when when you and Abu when you and our brother Kahar got together, Chairman Kahar got together, and coming in and he came into the party as a as a black woman, were there difficulties? What what were some of the things? that you faced coming in with uh, Chairman Carl, with the other brothers, or just the general community at large? Well, you know, he and I had a pretty unique relationship because I've always been an avid reader and a scholar, and he was the one without the charisma, and he could draw people and talk, at, which you all know. If you know him, you know how he is. But the thing thing is that I would read everything, Mal, Nkrumah. You know, I read. I just read, read, and absorbed knowledge, and I love to study. I think that's where a lot of women, a lot of sisters, that's what we do. We just want information, 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 where the brothers just want to go out and do. You know, they just want to do action where we want to study and see what's going on and how this happened and, you know, what steps to take. So I realized that I had an ability to take the knowledge that I had and to share it with uh, with the brothers. You know, because when you looked at it, uh, they didn't take education as seriously as a lot of women do. We take education a lot more seriously than the brothers. So it's easier for us to study. So I would be the one that would do all the reading and I would disseminate the information. I would make worksheets and bullet points about different books. And I was the one that started our study programs that we had. Because if you don't have education, you can't have growth. You know, you can only talk rhetoric for so long, but then you have to know exactly what you're talking about and where you're trying to go. So I would take the knowledge, and then he would take that and the other brothers, and then they would take that out into the community. I think that as women, it's and I see some sisters that would get caught up in trying to be as hard as the brother, 
and not embrace who they were as women. I saw a lot of sisters coming to the party and they lose their femininity. You know, even though I wore berets and black leather jackets, I enjoyed being a woman. I love being a woman. And, you know, that's one thing that we always have to embrace. And you can't let, you have to have confidence and know who you are and who you were created to be and to work out of that and to work out of your strengths and that people have to learn how to appreciate who you are just for what you do. You don't have to be as hard as they are, but, you know, it's like a yin and yang. You both need each other to make it. You know, I'm so excited that now there are some women that are ahead of formations. When I was come, you know, when I was in the Panther Party, that never happened. But we had a decisive role to play because behind every successful man, there's a great woman that's standing behind them, whether it's their mother, their teachers, I don't care. You have to, the the sister holds so much and she nurtures. And when the brothers come back and they've been disappointed, they've been shot down, you're a caregiver. But that doesn't take away from who you are in the struggle. You know, I could stand up and go toe-to-toe with anybody with, you know, with our ideology, and I love that, you know, and then I was assistant editor when we had the faction, the East Coast and the West Coast faction, and we went with the East Coast, I ended up being the assistant editor of Right On, which was the East Coast faction's Black Panthers paper, you know, so I was always involved on a national level, which was very, very exciting you know, and uh, worked really closely with Eldridge and Kathleen. And we just recognized who we were and didn't let anybody try to take anything away from us. And I think that's the main thing, that you have to recognize and walk in your own strengths and don't let anybody put you down for who you are because that's who you were created to be, you know, so it's no apology needed. And I think the brothers can get, so caught up in doing actions that they forget to study. And that's what we need to get back to. And I talk to Yank all the time about education, 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 because you can't go forward without education. Rhetoric and slogans only take you so far because people want to know what's the basis behind this. You know, we want to be further along than we were in the 60s and the 70s. You know, some of the mistakes that we made was not keeping families together, you know, or sisters coming in and sleeping with the brothers. Are the brothers trying to sleep with all the attractive sisters? You know, then you bring all of that in there. So we need to keep family structure together and call things out as they are, you know, instead of sweeping everything up underneath the rug. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, we love it, absolutely. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I And that's an important, and that's something important, no, because we find that what we find happening now today, Mom, is the, we, we a lot of the same things you're talking about seems to be uh, some of the same problems. And again, there, this is your brother, Chairman Yang and Kuma from People's Black Panther Party, Independence Black Talk. Listen, we're talking to Sister Judith E. Faye Spurley, Panther from the original development. You know, you know my I mother. dropped Spurley, right? Uh, you, you know I dropped Spurley, but okay. Oh, Smith. I'm, 
man, you know, I props to props, props to uh, props to Doug. I know. <laughs> <laughs> to my stepfather, rest in peace. Um, so we 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 talking to Judith Ife Smith, long time, you know, parent from third development, my mother, former wife of Chairman Abdul Kahar. Here's your opportunity if you have questions for her, any comments or anything like that, your opportunity to chime in, press one. I'll recognize you, open up your mic. But until then, we'll continue with the conversation. Um, so, Mom, that's some, some excellent points. But one of the things, too, i like to know, and I was talking about earlier, you know, you guys had me. How was it raising a family in the movement, being active and having a family, always maybe possibly the threat of death and getting the training in political education and being an activist? being a revolutionary and a wife and a mother. Could you go into a little bit of that? And what would be some of the advice you have for the sisters who uh, have this same thing going on in their life? You know, it was wonderful because, you know, that whole phrase, it takes a village, because we lived uh, we lived communally uh, when I was a panther. And you know, and raising you up. So you had so many people around you. And when I said live communally, it wasn't like we were hippies, you know, and people were just free love and that kind of thing. The uh, the brothers that weren't married, they had two rooms that they stayed in. Sisters that weren't married, had they had two rooms. We had a huge house. And then couples that were married had their own bedrooms. And we shared everything. We shared money. Uh, you know, we put our money in a big pool together, and we fed each other, and everybody looked out. So you were so loved and so passed around that everybody thought that you were their child. But you went everywhere with us, and that's why you came up with the love that you have for studying that you learned how to get along with everybody, how to be the leader that you are. And see, I think a lot of times what people would do is they try to keep their kids separated away from what they're doing and what they are. And all they see is is that, well, mom's not here because she's at a meeting or dad's not here that he's at a meeting. They have to be brought along and taught, you know, taught the principles. You know, we had uh, daycares where the children, you know, would learn Panther chants. And we would go in, uh, had after-school programs where we would help kids with homework, and they would see us. So they saw that we were an integral part of their lives. It wasn't separate. And I think that's where a lot of people make mistakes now because they separate their family and their children from the struggle and from what's really going on, and to politicize. Because, see, when your child goes to that school and somebody says something and they can, uh, you know, rebuke it, oh, no, that's not really how it is. It's blah, blah, blah. And you'd be surprised how smart kids are. You know, I noticed that when uh, one time your phone was ringing at the house and uh, Zach had gone to pick up your phone. And Amir said, oh, no, no, we never touch dad's phone because that could be business. That You know what I mean? And Amir was like, I mean, Amaru. Amaru was like seven. But he knew 
that you had business and not to mess with your phone because that could be something with the Panthers. You see what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that had to have been instilled in him. So we have to start, you know, and that's just a little small example of what I'm talking about. But your children have to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and why you believe in it so much. So that when we look at news and things that are going on, that you have to politicize your children. Say, okay, this is how they're portraying it, and let's look at it this way and give them another avenue. And then when they go out and talk to people, talk to other kids and stuff, they're the ones that's going to be sharing that, and they're going to come up doing that. And that's how you were raised. Am I making sense? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, absolutely. The importance of of raising. And and you're right. And and that's when we embed it in our children. Then we'll start to see the effects of that, and that's absolutely right. So do you see, and what you see, and I know that you haven't really been really keeping up with the new formations or this new wave of freedom fighters coming up and things of that nature. And I was sharing with them a little earlier, for a long time coming up, you risked a lot of things you wouldn't really talk about because of the friends you had lost, the comrades that were some still incarcerated, some who had lost their lives to the, you know, fighting for our uh, uh, liberation and advancement. But out of what you see today, what advice would you have or what critiques or criticisms would you have for these, the formation of this wave of fighters today? You know, uh, as you said, for years I wouldn't talk about anything because it, it just pain. It was too much pain, too much pain and too much grief because I felt like we gave up so much. You know, a lot of us gave up education, you know, we could have been doctors and lawyers and gone in a capitalistic way, you know, and forgotten the community and the people and stuff. So, and I looked at how every day our life was on the line. When the FBI agents would come, walk, just walk up to you and show you pictures of your comrades that had been killed, trying to make you give up. And they go, oh, that could happen to you. Or, you know, when I was pregnant with you, an FBI agent had said, oh, you know, your baby could be cut out of your stomach. I mean, these were verbal threats. Every day we live with threats. We would practice putting our guns together, you know, in the dark, and we would have drills. And Because every day you knew that you might not see the next day, but we knew that we were doing it for the community. We knew we were doing it for a greater cause than us and it was greater than we are. And when I see people that go into it with, uh, for lack of a better word, tomfoolery, that just want to wear a beret and a leather jacket and some black combat boots and wear pins and badges and have no idea and no commitment and their life is not on the line, and it's just like to me, it was like putting on a costume is what I was seeing people doing. And it, just, it was just so much disgust in seeing that. You know, that I just, people people just gave their lives just for people to dress up and play Panther. So that's why I never really got involved until, you know, until now. And I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I just saw how it has broken people down. I see how your dad, it's broken him down and uh, that he has committed so many years of his life. And, yeah, he, he goes on and on and wanders and meanders and stuff sometimes, but 
You know, he's a dynamic speaker. He's a marvelous person, and he has committed his life to this cause. You know, and I just look at the things that people have given up, the lives that are lost, you know, and when you look at that and you see people playing revolutionary, it's it's just painful. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it can be. And and, and by the way, Pop said you were dynamic and breaking that thing down in the dark too. Breaking your gun in the dark. <laughs> He said you were pretty bad. I was like, oh, your mom's bad breaking her gun down in the dark. So, oh, yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He said, <laughs> I said you was nice. So what, what, what in, in the, the original Panthers, what would you say? Because, like, now what's happening is we have a lot of formations. We, we you know, segment, we've broken up, and we have a lot of Panther formations. Um, and I think a lot of them have their own objectives, some are more politically motivated, some are more, you know, defense-oriented, some are, you know, just various things. What would you say the original Panthers, that their primary objective and goal and focus was, what were they, what were you guys really trying to accomplish? What were some of the ways that you were trying to accomplish it? Uh, Take self-determination of our community. And okay. you know, I look at every program that the government had came out of the Panthers. It was a ploy to stop the Panthers. You know, the Panthers were the first one to have free breakfast programs in the school. And then the government took over that. See, because mm-hmm. we had we had the community so shored up that you know and your dad has told you that in Louisville, the drug dealers wouldn't even sell drugs. You know, we had run the drug dealers in the community. You know, we took it block by block. We had the senior citizens would look after kids in our daycare programs. We We had so much community involvement and everyone on the streets was involved. We got rid of slumlords where we took people's rent and put it in escrow you know, so that they could get their buildings and things fixed up. You know, and we had lawyers and stuff that worked with us. You know, and some white people, we, you know, we used all the resources that we could get. And we just took over the community. We had uh, free sickle cell anemia testing. We had uh, vans that were coming in from the health centers that were coming into the community. The doctors were coming in and doing exams and things in the community. And see, all of those programs, even the housing and everything, because we were just having self-determination within our community. Then what happens, the government looks at this and says, oh, no, they're doing too much. They have too much power. So then that's when you get free breakfast programs in the schools. That came about because of the Panthers. Uh, community health care centers, that came about because of the Panthers. Section 8 programs with housing, that came about because of the Panthers. So every institution that had, and see, then that's where the whole breakdown of the family began because what happened was that people started relying on the government, then there's no respect for anybody else because the government is providing all their needs. 
You know, the government starts saying, okay, you can't have a man living in the home with you. If you want to get this check, if you want to have this apartment, you can't have a brother living with you. So then that starts trying to lift the sisters up, making them feel like that they're better than the man and I don't need you. And then the brothers feel discouraged and dejected, but that's where the whole breakdown started. You know, but everything came about because of the Panthers. So if it wasn't for the Panthers, none of those programs would have been in existence. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're we're looking at like that. You say what? Say it again, Mama. I said a lot of people don't realize that that the contribution that the Panthers made to have everything the way it is today, and then that's where you get all the disrespect. Because, you know, we respected everyone. But when people start giving you, when people start giving you things for free, there is no value in it. Mm. Free. There's no value in free. You start wow. feeling, feeling a sense of entitlement. But, see, the Panthers had the community, the whole community working, helping each other. And everyone was invested in the community. When the government comes in, there's no investment that the people have to make. So it's free, so there's no value. Wow. Wow, absolutely. So with that, with the government having given us, we're living in this day and time now, with all of these programs and the government giving us all of these things, what do you what what would you say or what would your advice be that the Panthers this way of a freedom fight? concentrate on how would they go about um, fighting for this self-determination or is there even a need to continue to fight for self-determination and self-sufficiency? There's always a need for that. The people have to be, it's like uh, the people in our communities have been lulled and into a false sense of security. You know, we've been lulled to sleep thinking that everything is okay just the way it is. You know, I I would say I would say volunteer to see what's going on. Volunteer in the school, see what your kids are being taught, be interactive. You know, don't just talk about change, be the change that you want to see. Even on a small level, start showing more interest. When uh people know you're going to show up, start getting treated differently. Mm. You know, if they know you're going to pop up in that school, oh, they're, go- they're not going to talk to your child real crazy. Because they say, oh, no. You know, they-, they go, oh, no, you know, they, uh, mama, they daddy, they'll come up here. You know, they just right. pop up. So, you know, it puts them on their P's and Q's. If there are mm. community programs or anything, you know, just even Say you live in an apartment complex, pop up at your rent office. You know, ask them, what's the main concerns you all have about the community here? Litter? Okay. If things are littered, organize kids and people start picking up litter around the neighborhood. You know, start start having some pride in what we do have. You know, but the thing is to let people know you're concerned and you're interested in what's going on. This is your community. It's not theirs. You have to live there. And then people start respecting that. 
learn learn people's names. Hi, Miss So and So. You know, yeah. start start letting walk it walk your community. Start getting to know people. Introduce yourself to the people in the stores that are in your community. Let them know that you are there. You have to start taking an interest in the things around you and being aware. Know who your neighbor is. You know, let them know you're interested in the community because we have to take them back. You know, the thing is, the people that are selling drugs and stuff, and you know for a fact, you know, I used to know all the dope boys. Yeah. You know, and and they talk about lack. Yes, ma'am, how you doing? And, you know, we laugh and talk and everything. You know, and they'll say, oh, no, don't mess, don't mess with her. Yeah. You know, get to <laughs> That's right. That's right, community. We've always have been a, a – that's one of the things between you and my father that has trickled down me. We have always been community people, everybody in the community. Yeah, it reminds me, I hit the hood. More people know my mama than me. I'm like, man. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on. Mom, let's go to the phone line real quick. Are you okay. open for that? Okay. I am. Okay. 859-1092. I believe this is Commander Williams. Sister. Greetings. Greetings. Oh, 859-1092. Okay. Don't call out their last four digits. Yeah, that's their area code. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Look at mom. I'm sorry. Mama. I've been doing this this long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mama, your mom. Mama. I've been on this radio doing this thing. Sister <laughs> Williams, you're on the line with with my mother, um, and the honor to have her on. I'm glad you you chimed in, Queen. Any 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 questions or comments? Black Power, I'm I'm so excited. I have listened to you, Queen. It is an honor to even hear you, Yang. I'm gonna have to steal your mom. I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to share it with me now because I need a mentor. But I'm, my name is Nikki Williams. I'm a founder of the Black Panther Party, Queen. My father is an original Black Panther. The reason why I got involved, I'm actually the baby. You would think my older brothers would have got involved in the movement. But my father was alive a little while to see the president, you know, uh, Obama go in and stuff like that. He talked about a few things. But what got me started into the movement is because I've seen a lot of stuff that made me angry really angry enough because I feel like the Black Panther name was being disrespected. And, you know, I've seen my daddy every day with bullet wounds in his body and burn marks on his legs where he was set on fire. I've, I've seen that. I got, to, I got to hear the stories where they blocked off the bridge, and I was too young to really know about it, but where they blocked off the bridge and they couldn't go across to get water to turn water off because it was the Ohio area. He's originally from California, but I grew up in the Ohio area. I'm in Kentucky now. And I've dealt with a lot of racism here. I had a lawsuit against the whole city. And it's a feeling to that. Like, I didn't think that some of the stuff was still going on. I guess I was a little naive, but I was also trained by my dad, but I wasn't really seeing it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, daddy's still tripping. He's sheltered. I can't remember how it was when he was a pastor and all this whole stuff. So, you know, when you're younger, you kind of think a little different until you get into it yourself. And 
So that's what made me get involved with it because I see a lot of disrespectful stuff going on as far as people carrying the Black Panther name. They're not really looking into it and studying and talking to somebody who's a Black Panther. That's why I need you as a mentor because being over this formation has really been some edgy things going on with me. Like it's, it's sometimes it's hard to balance. Sometimes it's, it's really hard to understand where people's trying to go with things and you, you want to help. But, you know, sometimes they come in with they already got it figured out. So how can you help? You know, if they, I mean, it's, it's like a backlash, like a competition more going on within our own community versus we're getting out. It's like everybody's competing to see who's doing the most. But really, in the long run, they're not doing anything. You know what I'm saying? So what, how do you, you deal with that? Like, how do you come at and deal with it as a leader of a formation and, and not be so, and make them think you're arrogant or you're trying to be bossy or, because I'm more like militant type, you know, because of my father. Like, I was trained with the boys because somewhere, my, my father, my mother fought over me that he, she had to remind him that I was a girl. He didn't care because he wanted, I guess, to give her to give birth to his own army. So how do you you deal with the the backlash against the Panthers? Okay. Uh, First of all, I hear the passion and the heart and the love that you have for the Panthers, and that's first and foremost. The other thing is you don't have anything to prove to anybody. You have to understand that. I think that uh, since you're head of a formation, that you have to make education key, that you all have to study. You have to read, uh, you know, Shay, uh, Nkrumah. You have to look through Mao. You have to look at some of the past struggles and see what people had to go through. through. Through getting your formation to study, that's where discipline starts coming in. And then you start out with small things. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose your love. Move from the heart. And the other thing is is we can't get caught up in the appearance of the phenomena of negativity. Don't get caught up in what you see. You have to elevate to a higher vibration of uh, operating on seeing things as you want them to be as opposed to what is really in front of you. Because what happens if you get caught up in what is really in front of you, that drains you and takes all your energy, and then you get caught up in personalities. If you're a strong personality, then somebody's always going to be trying to bring you down. They're going to be trying to challenge you. But, you know, you Mm -hmm. don't have time to get uh, caught up in all that. You know, you're working for a greater good. And then, uh, just like I said, education through the education is going to come to discipline. You know, don't pass out pens to everybody. You had to earn them. Uh, you know, you don't just jump in being a full panther. You have to, you know, there are points that you should know what we believe. Because, see, this is what happens. If you don't have the education, because we're only as strong as our weakest link. So if you don't have education... If you are doing something, the media will zoom in on your weakest link, and then your weakest link will be the one who uh, supplies information to the media or to other people. So, and then that's what you're going to look like. 
So what you have to do is educate so that everybody's on the same page. What are we doing? This is why we're doing this. You know, have your goals, have your objectives, and let everybody know, okay, this is what we're working on, this is what we're doing, and this is what we're studying, and this is what we're talking about. Everything's not about just getting together and setting some action and then going out doing. Sometimes you just have to be. Sometimes you have to learn to work within the stillness so that you can get the knowledge and education and bring everybody where you are, you know, Sometimes you have to tame that passion and heart in other people, and you have to learn as a leader, you have to learn how to direct that passion and that heart and then take it with the education. Education is the basis and the formation and the foundation. Did I answer your question? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, you did. Please make sure you get my number because I'm going to need your your assistance. I really do need a mentor. I really do. Yanga can give you my number. Okay. Okay. And we definitely appreciate you. Sister doing outstanding work and one of my comrades, Sister um, Williams, Minister Williams, man, doing doing definitely doing her thing. And like I said, having that shared experience of, of coming up with parents that are Panthers and both of us having that passion, seeing where the formations have um taken a turn and in a lot of instances, not the best turn. From what I, what you guys, mom and pops and her father, was trying to accomplish and trying to achieve. So, with with it all, like you were saying, with education and our sisters being a lot of the backbone of the education and and things of that nature, and the advice that you had for the sisters, with the sisters being in the movement and raising the families, and the direction of um, and just doing a little recap, you're saying being community, being involved with the community, and being. Uh, just getting to know the community, you also said something about vibrating on this higher frequency and not giving in to this to this this negativity. I noticed was that something that the Panthers, what we call the original Panthers, did, or is this like in your later development as your growth as going on something that you discovered that if incorporated then or just some things that should be incorporated now could advance us and help us to achieve what we're trying to achieve. I think we operated on that principle. We just didn't know how to put it into words like I can now. But, you know, it's like you saw things as we wanted them to be and not as they were. We looked beyond, and we took the people with us beyond. You know, you had naysayers. You had people who said, I mean, we worked with the police department. You know, we gave them their parameters in the community. You know, we were strong in the community, and we saw the community as we wanted it to be, and we educated the community. We educated them about how all black communities are surrounded by railroad tracks. Why? Because that way they could pull the trains in, and they can isolate those areas. We had maps of black communities throughout the United States and looked at where they were strategically laid. You know, we learned our community. So from A to Z, and we looked at how uh, our oppressors oppressed us, and we educated about it. We did flyers that we put out. You know, and then you have people who, what people call Uncle Times and stuff, said, oh, you know, they just doing this. But when you just keep talking and when you have a conviction, people can say, oh, well, you know, they're wrong, but 
even if they felt like we were wrong, we were sincerely wrong because we were sincere about what we believed. And if we weren't, then, as I said, you look at all the programs, the government knew what we were doing, and they knew that we were a force to be reckoned with. That's why we, uh, you know, went down the way that everything happened. And that's why so many Panthers uh, and the original went to drugs, alcoholism, you know, because everything we did was thwarted. And then the generation that came after us just sort of kicked us to the curb. And, you know, what we did was never recognized. And that's what happened. You know, it was a plot, and it was well carried out by the CIA and the FBI. But back in my day, they weren't afraid to uh, to acknowledge who they were and to let us know that they were out to destroy us. You know, we knew in the party who our infiltrators were, you know, but we didn't kick them out. We just fed them what information we wanted them to know, and we used their resources. You know, and I know your dad has told you about that. You know, we like, right. okay, you want to break money here and you're an infiltrator? Well, no, we're not going to tell you we know that, but we knew because we were that close and we were that tight. So, you know, you keep your band of brothers and sisters that are close close to you, but you welcome everybody, and you use that person. You know, if you don't have any opposition, then you're not being effective. So if you got a formation that nobody's coming against you, then you're just playing. But you're not a threat to anything. You know, it's time to get serious, and it's time to keep the family together. Mm, And then that way, raising money. And other people who who believe in you, we had a lot of people who would have loved to have been Panthers, but they were professionals. Well, what did they do? They contributed money, which we used to help the community. You know, so you would be surprised how many people you can get on board with you. Everybody doesn't have to don a beret and a leather jacket. You know, you just look at the skills that you have, and you look at the people that you have, and you use the resources that they have to the best of their ability. You know, just like your dad was really charismatic and he was the speaker. What was my my uh usefulness with it? I could drive, we learned the streets, we studied maps. You know, if we had to get away, we had planes, we learned how to take down helicopters with a baseball. You know, we did a whole we practiced and trained and were ready you know, for anything that came out. But we knew the community, and it all starts with the community. You know, just start with one block. Start with the block that you live on. Start with the street that you live on. You know, just go meet the people in your neighborhood. Start putting out flyers. Start educating people in the community. Some people might throw it away, but there are some people who are going to be interested and glad that you're there. You know, that's where it all starts. Well, one of the things I know Pops told me about is when he was uh, when they snatched him up, and that that you had to run the party for a minute. How was that? I mean, everyone's read a lot of us anyway have read Elaine Brown, A Taste of Power, when she came to um, so-called national chairperson for the uh, West Coast um, um, Panther movement after the split. But how was how did you find that taking over, have to take the responsibilities and duties? of running a party while the chairman was locked away? And did you find the brothers receptive to that? 
Well, I did because they all knew me, and they worked alongside me. We all worked alongside each other daily, and they knew that I was committed, and we talked. You know, I kept communication open that they could have their ideas and everything, and they knew that I wasn't trying to uh, usurp your dad's authority or anything, and I would go to the jail and talk to him and let him know what was going on and everything, and they knew that. It was the way I had to present it, and a lot of ideas were mine and things, but I had to present it in a way that they could accept it, you know, but you just have to be strong and just know that it's best for the good. But if people know you and they've worked with you, then you've already built up that respect, and you're not trying to, you know, it's not like you you have your thumb down on them. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a sister. It it never came into being that I was a woman. It was just I was carrying out the duties until he came back. And this is how we're going to do this, and this is how this thing's going to run. And the, and that's the way it was. But all the other leaders, you know, around the United States knew who I was because I was always an integral part in everything that went on in the party. Yeah. That answer your yeah. question? That that did answer my question. So basically, like you said, when you work, just working in that, working close with the brothers and building up that camaraderie, building up that family structure, it wasn't like missing a beat, basically. Right. 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 When you came in. Listen, this so is Chairman. This is uh, Me and your dad were one. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that, and I read that in uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Brother Sundara Akolo was writing in his book, and he wrote that chapter, and he was saying that he sent in pops a thing of his chapter, and before he had got captured, he was talking about coming through Louisville and talking about you and Pops and really the dynamic, how the Louisville chapter of the Panther Party worked and how disciplined it was, and he was talking about you two and just how well organized and how in unison that you guys work together. Listen, this is your Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party, Independence Black Talk Radio. We're talking to Judith E. Faye Smith of the original Black Panther Party. My mother, um, man, getting some information, getting it out there. We got a couple minutes left in the show. If you have any questions, any comments, Press 1, I'll open your mic, we'll recognize you, and here's your opportunity to talk. You know, this is your radio program, brothers and sisters, and you know your man Yanga. like to bring it to you rough and raw, uncut and uncensored. So um, here it is. So, Mom, in our last couple part minutes, what, um, and I asked you that, I think I asked you that, but what advice would you have for us to address today, how we would go about, and you said just basic community involvement, getting to know your neighbors, you know, if you live in an apartment complex, going to the rent office, addressing some of the concerns that you would share with other tenement tenants. Uh, but what would just be some of your advice in general for the young, for this new wave coming up, just in general on how to do, you know, whether it's love, good vibrations, positivity, you know, just what would some of your, what would some of your just general advice be for us? As I said before, my my main general advice would be to show love, always walk in your passion and your heart. You know, just be, find out who you are and who you were created to be and to walk in that, to see people as perfect, whole, and complete and not get caught up in the negativity and get caught up, you know, in what, what you see. 
Just see things as you want them to be, and you'll see how things start changing. Excellent. Let's go to our phone lines. One more more time, we have some phone lines coming in. Area code 214-4965. Your mic is open, and you're on the air with us. Peace and love. Uh, I just want to say I was kind of listening in tonight over the information that was being mm-hmm. broadcast and the information is pure. The uh, sister touched on some great topics, the educational factor that she spoke on that we have to, to come with and the educational factor that we have to utilize the bill is is great. And that is what we've been we've been lacking as a people, as an organizing people, and as a, a struggling a struggling people in trying to build uh, a dynamic a, a force for a force that you know the people can utilize. We need that wisdom. We need that type of uh, structure, and we need that type of excellence in today's time, so that we can just have more than than what we've seen with the fractions, the splits, the different things that have made the it all has been path to progress, I'm gonna say. It's all has been path to progress and doing the divine dance and becoming who we are today, who we're gonna to become tomorrow. And I just wanna tell you guys that I appreciate the uh the knowledge and wisdom that you are kicking and just know and expect that in due time, everything that has been set out that people thought was sabotage growth and movement and development so that we can have strength for the people is going to become one. And the carrying out of that is going to have to be continued by all of us continuing to do the work and some of us to just start working and start from where we're at today in today's time. And that's all I have to say, man. You guys just... I'm going to tune in, and I'm going to tune in. Uh, I'm going to tune in more to continue to, to see, to continue to see where we're going and, and, and obviously navigate towards a better tomorrow. That's all I have to say. Peace and love. Peace and love, brother. We definitely appreciate that input, man. All input is welcome. And I thank you for those. I thank you for, man, such positive, uplifting words. It really feels good to know that something that we're saying is really reaching someone. And if we can inspire and motivate anyone, this is what this is all about. This is what this thing is all about. We all, when, we, when I say we're all we have, we're all we got, man, I literally mean that. So, brother, I thank you for those words of encouragement. I thank you for those words of motivation and those uplifting words. And we will do to the best of our ability. Continue to bring that truth, continue to bring that fire, and to do all that we can. Um, hey, Yango, can I say one more thing? Please, please do. Okay. This this is about what, what I see. You asked me about the formations. I was just sitting here thinking about it. The main thing I think that is lacking is discipline. Everybody can't be the leader. Everybody can't be the leader. And through education comes discipline. And until you educate, then people don't understand what discipline really is. 
And then that's why we have people going off in all kind of different directions because they don't have discipline. And the other part of that education is always remember that when the media talks to anyone in your formation, they will talk to your weakest link. It's like they can spell them out. And you're only as strong as your weakest link. So education, education, and through education comes discipline. And through discipline comes respect. That's it. I would just want to say that. Powerful words, powerful words. I know one of the things is you touched on earlier, and uh, Pops, is, Abu is always talking, my brother Chairman Carr is always talking about, is even back then how you weren't just given a button, how um, – he even said that the committee was called the NCCF, the National Committee to Combat Fascism, that you had to go through a political education process. You had to know exactly what it was, not that you believed in, but you had to be able to, like you said, to be able to articulate that thing and to really show them that you understood exactly what you were fighting for and then how you were going to go about the program, the 10-point program, and how you were going to go about implementing self-determination. So education is education is super important. And it's something that we push on the show, man, political education, because our objective is a political objective. Our objectives are political objectives. Our self determination, our liberation are political objectives. I'm reminded of what they of a quote of um, a quote from Chairman Fred Hampton Senior, who said politics is everything and everything is politics. So we have to be mindful. When I say politics, brothers and sisters, I'm not just talking about this reformist politics. I'm not just talking about, you know, reforming legislation so that we can drink out of a water fountain. I'm talking about those politics that are steps towards the empowerment, independence, and liberation of African people here in America. But we have to be aware of what's going on. We have to be able to step up on this international global scale because our struggle is that. One of the things I want to say in the end, and my mom talked because I know she has Freedom fighting today, it's imperative not just for our advancement, but also for some of the for freeing our political prisoners. Our struggle hasn't been looked at as a legitimate revolutionary struggle. So some of our brothers and sisters that are incarcerated in these penitentiaries are on criminal charges when they should be charged when they should be looked at as political prisoners. Because their fight was a fight for political inclusion, for independence, it was a revolution. It was a revolutionary struggle, and until we're politically educated enough to know that, they will always be hiding our freedom fighters and our scholars and some of our boldest and best and and bravest, you know, behind enemy lines on criminal charges, on state or national criminal charges. When it's really international, they should be held to by international standards. The Geneva Convention and all of that, and if they're held to those standards then at the very least, they won't be in these super solitary confinements like our brother Matula, Shakur, or they will be released or given the opportunity to go to another country. You know, so we have to be, like Mom is saying, we have to be politically educated and politically educated to learn from those that preceded us so that, you know, we, we have to be careful that we don't get into this romanticism, that the revolutionary is not a romantic. You know, that we don't really just make this the golden era of revolution. That some mistakes were severely made. I'm, I'm reminded in one of Sundada Akola's books when he talks about the movement, he said one of the mistakes that 
he he recognizes in in the original Panther Party was the combination of above ground and the underground apparatus that they would do underground things, meaning some things that the state would consider criminal, and then in the daytime be in the office. And he said that, you know, that combination would give the police officers the pretext for coming from running raids and things like that nature and the pretenses of looking for people or looking for um, certain things, stolen items or whatever. So saying that we learn from our political education will help us to learn from not just the victories, the triumphs of the prede- of our predecessors, but also the unfortunate tragedies and some mistakes. That mistakes will be made in the field, in the application of things, because you can only learn as you go along. But we have that benefit. We have that advantage to learn from our predecessors. We've had those people to go before us and to really implement and start to the, start down the path of revolution. So we have to, so education is imperative at this point and every point after that. And like um, my mother was the, the top on, like mom was saying, when we go back to say, when I was saying what was the role of the black family, when we talk about a protracted struggle, a generational struggle, like she said, when it came to um, how I came up in the communal living, taking me to the meetings, making it a part of my everyday existence, this is what we have to do for our children, that it can be. I love that note where she said on that the children aren't just saying, well, mom's not here because she's got a pan for me, or mom's not there, but that this is what we do. This is how we live. This is a part of us. This way, this is embedded in the children, and they will continue that. It will be as natural as breathing. Their compassion for their fellow human, their love of community. And not at all times does it just come out. Sometimes it has to be brought out of them. I'm not going to say I didn't have my share of being a knucklehead and getting my head busted or bumped once, once or twice, maybe even three times. But that what was put in me eventually surfaced. And this is what has to happen when our generations, we're so far removed from one another. We're so detached from one another. The love, the compassion, the caring of one another that when we see atrocities happening and things happening in our community, before we would even speak out, I'm not even talking about physically intervening, before we would even speak against this atrocity, we'll pull out our cell phones and film it. We'd rather put it on Facebook. Watch the brother or sister being brutalized. We won't call the police or the police. We won't say, hey, stop. Anything, we'll pull out a phone to film it, more sensationalism. So this is just to serve as a reminder, brothers and sisters. And you heard it coming from my mother, the the community involvement, even if it isn't on levels, grandiose levels, or levels that we think will get all the acclaim, that will win us the Nobel Peace Prize. That's not what it's about here. Even if it's just about going somewhere, showing your neighbors that you're concerned about community, like she said, organizing the children for a cleanup project doing something in your community, just showing the community that you care, that you're concerned. So it's, it's, that's where we're at, and that's where we're looking at. And this is what has to be done. On the, on the small scale, like I said before, the revolutionary isn't a romantic. They're not adventurous. They're not looking for 
the bigger venture. We have to understand that we can't allow people, these revisionists, to rewrite our history to point these big pictures of our dear beloved brother, Defense Minister Huey Newton, or the, the you know, bad Lumumba, or any of these brothers with these guns and going out, and then we think that that was the extent of the movement without really understanding the community programs, without really understanding that the whole aims and objectives of it all was for self-determination. And that we have to start to find ways to instill a sense of self-worth and self-pride and a, and a desire for independence, a desire to be reliant on themselves. And when I say reliant on yourself, I mean relying upon yourself and people that look like you, your community, therefore you can contribute to the greater community of humanity. How are you going to contribute to the greater community of humanity when all you are a parasite to humanity? How can you love your brother that you don't see or you don't know and step over your brother that you know and looks like you every day? These are just some of the things that we have to be mindful about. And this is my challenge. This is, since we heard it from, from, from my mother let, let I, I issue that challenge. You know, every now and then, brothers and sisters, I like to issue a challenge. You know me. You know your boy. So I issue that challenge. Let's get out of here. Let's get involved in our community, even on the smaller scale. Let's learn the people's names three houses down from us. Every third house, let's learn our neighbor's name. Let's start with that. Let's start some human interaction again. Let's start speaking. Let's bring this love back to the community. Let's bring this, this, you know, humanizing. We're, we're too dehumanized. Let's bring this humanization back to the community. Let's start learning the children's names and getting involved with their parents so that we can have the community. We'll look out for all the children and all of these things. And until we start getting like that, man, we're going to be in a world of trouble, a world of trouble. In our last 13 minutes, Mom, would you like to say something? No, I'm good. You're something that I love. I'm so proud of you. Look, now I'm going to go in my mama mode. <laughs> I'm so proud of you because uh, I I couldn't expect you to come out any different because of the mom and dad that you had. But uh, just speaking truth, love you, and love each and every yep. person that's on there. You know, I, I'm just I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> well, thank you, Mama. I'm, I'm I'm glad that the the upbringing you you and Pops put in me paid off. So I, you know, and it's funny because I it, it's not a choice. It's like it goes back to what you say. Once we do this, we will see it start to come out of our children, and I'm a testament to that. I will bear witness to that. And this is what it's going to take for. And my prayers are that the job that was done on me that can be passed to my children, and for those within earshot of my voice. Allow me not saying I'm the super bad as an example, but allow this to serve as an example that you're seeing generational struggle. You're seeing this protracted struggle that I'm talking about, that my parents were freedom fighters, were resistance fighters, and that prayerfully it will be in my son. So we see the outcome and the effect that that has once we're serious, once we embrace this thing. But that's what it's going to take. It's just going to take a good hard look at the man and the woman in the mirror stepping up to the plate, self-analyzation. And once we start to analyze ourselves, doing the things that it takes to start to change ourselves, 
I'm going to go back. I'm going to open up. Sister William, your line. We have a few minutes. My dear sister, would you like to share something with us in the last closing minutes? Um, again, I like to say it's an honor to leave. So, you know, I don't calm down a little bit. I ain't as fucked up. It's been listening, but uh, I still need to get her number. I, you know, I do want to touch on that Section 8 thing. She, she's right. There's a lot of stuff she's saying makes sense now because at one point when I was younger, I ain't going to get my age away, but one point when I was younger, I did get Section 8. And when I had Section 8, they actually, they literally came in the house to look in the closets to see if there were men clothes in there. And it never really dawned on me what they were doing until she said what she said. So that, that I, I learned a lot just from, you know, being on the show. I'm glad I came on here. And um, I'm glad I got a new mentor because I fall under the elders anyway. I don't really fool with nothing but the elders who were Black Panthers because I, I see things a little different. Uh, some people are waking up, some are not. And, you know, that's what my father said before he passed. He said, some things will change, some things have not. Some things ain't going to never change. You know, and he said, we did see one thing, that they don't went from knives to guns. So everybody got a gun now. But, you know, I, I hope things will get better. If anything, I can I will continue to work on the unity and do the best as I can as a leader. But, like I said, I will need some assistance. You know, I'm, I'm a strong one. Some of my queens are on the line now. They know the general is can be a trip at times, but it is about discipline, though, you know, and I do, I would like to get some advice on some things to study. Right now, I'm reading, reading Seize the Time, but I want to be reading the right things. I want to be studying the right things, you know, so I'm open-minded, and I hope everybody else is listening to the show is. I really do. I hope the Queens learned something that's on the show tonight, you know, and I just, it's an honor. I'm glad you, you know, I was opened up the line to be on, and I thank you, Black Power. Black power. Black, black power. And, and I'm glad that you came on the show. No, yeah, and it's an honor to have you on the show, you know, to listen. I think that is tremendous work that you're doing and good work. So with that, family, I thank everyone that I thank everyone that called in. I thank people who support the show, who um, um, just really call in to get this information, disseminate the information, spread the information, hey, share with you. Can yeah. I say one more thing? You know, and yes, uh, the is that we don't have hate. You know, I look at all the brothers that I worked with and stuff, and even your dad, that he and I are still best friends and both respect each other, you know, even though you go your separate ways. As long as you walk in your integrity, your confidence, and who you were created to be, everything would just move right along for you. And that's the whole key. Okay. Right on. Walking in your integrity and who you created to be. I like that. I don't think that I could have said that any better. So, like I said, with that, man, I want to thank everyone who listened in to the show, who um, calls in for support. Disseminate the information. Let them know the show's out here. This is their radio station, an opportunity for them to express their views, comments, opinions to share with us. You know, I'm one of those that believe in that mastermind, that think tank, collecting two heads are better than one. Just to sum it all up, to put it, you know, plain, two heads are better than one. So let us put our minds together. Let us put our hearts together. Let's work together to accomplish this lofty, noble goal that we're trying to accomplish, and that's upliftment, upliftment, empowerment, prosperity, and success, and we can do it. And remember that your brother always shares this with you. 
the most powerful emotion a revolutionary can have is the emotion of love, is the emotion of love. So let us do this from a love, a deep-seated, deep-rooted love, a love of equality, truth, peace, freedom, and justice, a love for humanity, a love for our brothers, a love for our sisters. And if we remember that and keep that foremost and keep that near and dear and true to us, then I guarantee you, I promise you, that we'll see change. And now to add to that, something that my mother said, it was going to start being my new saying, you always hear me say the positive emotion that we can have is love. My new thing I'm saying, and let us see the community the way that we want it to be. Let's start to envision our communities the way that we want them to be. When we go out, actually visualize and see your community being that community, being a prosperous, healthy, vibrant, energetic, loving, sharing community. And if we do this, if we do this, then there will be nothing that can stop us, no one that can hinder us, and uh, nothing, what what it say, no weapon against me shall prosper, nothing in the world will stop us from accomplishing what is and, and claiming what is rightfully ours. It's your brother, Chairman Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party, Independence Black Talk Radio. Thank you for being with me again. Look for me next week. I'm on Wednesdays at 8, bringing out political, bringing out revolutionary political information. You know, you know how we do. We'll get out and we'll rap. We'll chop it up there again. Mom, I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank you for taking out of your schedule and sharing with your son and sharing with some of your son's friends and comrades. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, my brothers and sisters. So I leave you as I greet you every time. All power to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power.